0: That word of mouth got me from zero to 2,000. And then Sam Parr shared it on Twitter and it shot up from 2,000 to 10,000. And then Mr. Beast shared it on Twitter and mm. it went from 10,000 to 20,000.
1: Welcome to episode three of the Idea Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cho. And in today's episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Ben Wilson who is the host of a popular podcast called the How to Take Over the World podcast, easily one of the greatest podcast names of all time. But in terms of our conversation, the first half was really focused on my curiosities about his background, his approach to editing, and also his distribution strategy as it relates to podcasting. And the back half was focused on what Ben had learned in studying the greatest figures in history. Ben's podcast, the How to Take Over the World podcast, is focused on just that. He analyzes the lives of the greatest historical figures, examining their strategies, their tactics, their mindsets, and through his podcast, he has profiled figures such as Alexander the Great, Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, and many more. One point of discussion that Ben had brought up in our conversation was the importance of what he called anti-inspirations. Basically having a catalog of people that have found success in some domain despite not being overly impressive. Ben had mentioned that having this list of people in the podcasting space had given him the courage to try podcasting himself. And while I actually haven't heard of this term anti-inspiration used before, I've definitely done something very similar in my career, where I've looked around and seen some individuals gain notoriety or success in their domain, despite not appearing that competent or that great. And it's encouraged me to take action as well. So again, I highly recommend checking out Ben's podcast. You can just search for How to Take Over the World, and it will definitely come up in your favorite podcatcher. But without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ben Wilson. I'm looking forward to having this conversation, especially because one of the things that podcasting has done for me, and I imagine this is true for a lot of podcast hosts as well, is it's given me an appreciation for how kind of the internet could create these communities that just weren't possible before. Um, So you are the host of the How to Take Over the World podcast, which is an incredible um, title and name. And I'm curious, like maybe from your start to the podcasting journey and exposure to podcasting in general, how you got into how to take over the world, the podcast. And I know you have involvement with the My First Million pod, which is a very big and and popular podcast. Um, So could you maybe give a summary background on your journey there?
0: Yeah, so I was working for a company in startup space that got acquired back in 2018, something like that. And so then I was just kind of sitting on my hands, wondering what to do with my life for for a few weeks. And I decided to start reading a little bit. So I started reading a biography of Napoleon. I really liked it. And I kind of thought to myself, I should make something of this, you know, a blog, um, a YouTube channel, a podcast, something. And I had all this old equipment sitting around that someone had given me like a couple of years previous. Uh, He had just retired from radio and he's like, I don't need this anymore. You have a great voice. Take this. So I had this microphone sitting around. So I thought I'll make a podcast out of this. And I also kind of had the idea that at the time I was listening to the Tim Ferriss show and he just had a run of like three or four episodes in a row. I wasn't particularly interested in the guest. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking to myself, well, who do I wish he would interview? And I realized I would like him to interview like the true greats from the past. And so those kind of two thoughts came together in my head and I thought, okay, well, I could I could do this. I could essentially interview the great figures from the past. And mm-hmm. so that's what I did with that first episode with, with Napoleon. And so it started as just a, a fun project to do in my spare time. I could tell initially from the start that it was good because people were writing me, texting me, saying, this is my favorite podcast I've ever listened to. And even though the numbers were small... They kept growing, which means that people were were sharing it. So I knew that it was, it was headed in the right direction. And growth was slow. I went up to kind of a few thousand over the first few years. And then in, I want to say early 2022, or maybe it was late 2021, uh, Sampar reached out and uh, sent me a DM on Twitter. I was already a huge fan of My First Million, and, uh, and he's a host there. So then it's been kind of a roller coaster from there. I started then working with their podcast with My First Million, and uh, growth has been has been explosive since, since joining them.
1: When you first started How to Take Over the World, the podcast, was there an expectation at all that it could turn into something more, or that if you continued to work at it, that there could be something long-term that came out of it? Or was it purely an experimental kind of passion project on the side? No, there
0: was always a hope that it could become something, right? It was, I went into it with the view that I was going to do this while working other jobs for years. So, you know, I didn't have an expectation that it immediately was going to blow up and take off. But um, I always, yeah, I always had the hope that it could become something. And I thought it had that potential because I just knew it didn't exist. And I knew I really wanted it. And so I thought there must be other people like me that would really love something like this.
1: So, So I always had the hope that it could become something big. And like when you... Something that I sometimes think about when it comes to distribution channels, especially with building a podcast organically with no following, is that there are some like very real obstacles. Um, Like one of them is maybe just the sheer time spent interviewing other people. And you, you think about like Joe Rogan or some of the other big podcasters, just the length of time that they've been doing it for. Um, but from your perspective, when you had first started with the podcast, did you have an existing following at all? Or what were the uh, like points of, of distribution that actually allowed you to find a reach there?
0: None. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had whatever, like a thousand followers on Instagram, right? Yeah. and um maybe another like 500 on twitter or something like that. I had no no real reach. Podcasting is the hardest medium from which to grow from 0 to whatever 10,000 a decent number. And that's mm-hmm. because there's really no algorithm. You can get some love in Spotify of them inserting you into playlists and recommended listening and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. not really. It's not like YouTube where you can create a killer video that has a great title and thumbnail and it's going to go viral because it starts appearing in people's feed. It's not Mm -hmm. TikTok. It's not Instagram that way. And so it's really tough for me. Growth has been essentially like a series of step growths, if that makes sense with a little bit of steady growth in between. So that steady growth is just word of mouth. And so that word of mouth got me from zero to 2000 downloads per episode. And then Sam Parr, shared it on Twitter and it shot up from 2,000 to 10,000 and then Mr. Beast shared it on Twitter and mm-hmm. it went from 10,000 to 20,000 and then Patrick O'Shaughnessy shouted it out and it went from 20,000 to 25,000, you know, it's just, yep. so that has been my growth journey in terms of,
1: of podcasting. I listened to, I think, a handful of the Alexander the Great uh, episodes that you had produced, and then more recently listened to the Leonardo da Vinci episode. And like one thing that was pretty clear was the um, the audio. Like I guess not just quality, but you add you've added like sound effects, and it's be- made the listening experience, from my perspective, um, much better over time. Have you like evolved that process substantially in terms of how you prepare um, and just? think about the structure of of what you're going to talk about. Like, can you talk a little bit about the process there? I'm just curious. I'm
0: good friends with David Senra, who does the Founders podcast and has gone sort of the opposite route. He he says, I don't care about story. Like I'm just here. This is an insights podcast. And I'm I'm here to give you great insights from biographies of founders. And I have just always loved story and I have wanted story to be a component of my podcast. And really, I think one of the things that's changed from when I started the podcast in, I think, end of 2018, beginning of 2019 to now is that it was difficult to make a podcast back then, you know, Mm. even still, it was the easiest kind of thing to make was much easier than video, but man, some of the tools that have come out in the last five years have made it really, really pretty simple and uh, to, to do some really cool things. And so at a certain point, I said to myself, why am I not making the best thing possible? So I've decided to start adding a few sound design elements that I think uh, hopefully enhance the story a little bit.
1: And what what is it that drives your, your interest in the people that you cover? Um, is there any like thread in terms of the the types of like characters um, or historical figures that you choose to focus on? Because there is, in looking at your feed, quite a bit of diversity in terms of the people that you covered. So is it just pure curiosity there?
0: Yeah, I just kind of follow my curiosity wherever it goes. I would say if there's one thread that sort of connects everyone, it's leadership. They're all great leaders, whether the those are entrepreneurs or scientists or artists or, you know, political military leaders, they're all leaders, right? So I think mm-hmm. that's the thread that connects them. But in terms of kind of choosing the next episode, I think if I had a manager, they often would tell me, what are you doing? No one's heard of William <laughs> Randolph Hearst. No one, no one wants to hear his story, right? Yeah. But it's interesting to me in the moment. And so that's what I do.
1: And is there anything um, surprising that's come about in terms of listenership to specific episodes where um, maybe you have some expectation that uh, certain episodes are going to you know, hit with your audience where others don't? Uh, is that fairly predictable? Or do you look at those analytics? I do.
0: On a certain level, they are fairly predictable. You know, Napoleon's the most, uh, Steve Jobs is second, Alexander the Great is third. I probably could have predicted that. But mm-hmm. also, you know... Some will surprise you, like Brigham Young is pretty high up there. And that's someone that not a lot of people have heard of. And I think part of that is, you know, my Alexander the Great episode is like the 100th Alexander the Great podcast episode that's out there. Right. Yeah. And there's not that much stuff out there, high quality, well researched about Brigham Young. And so sometimes those smaller episodes are not smaller, but, you know, more niche do surprise me a little bit because, you know, the people who are interested in those figures are really interested in them. And And they're willing to seek out that content. So you find niches in unexpected places. And I think, you know, as I talk with and help other podcasters, which I do sometimes, that's the thing I really emphasize with people is I think sometimes people want the biggest TAM, want the biggest total addressable market or audience in this case. Mm -hmm. And so they try and keep it general, whereas it's better to start very, very niche and grow from there. So like, if you think about the Joe Rogan experience, the biggest yeah. podcast in the world, what's it about? Well, it's about everything. There's something there for everyone, right? But yes. it's really not. It's really a podcast about interviews with professional comedians and fighters. Okay. And he started with that niche and kind of grew out from there. Mm-hmm. And so I think more people should take that approach of, you know, finding these little niches where it's really easy to win that can lead to, to a lot of growth. And, and it has for me in, in my episodes.
1: Makes sense. And I guess, like in terms of, I know that you are the founder and CEO of PodRamp. Um, is what you're doing with How to Take Over the World? Your, you know, uh, I guess contributions to My First Million. PodRamp is kind of a natural development of that. Can you say a little bit of what uh, what PodRamp is? Yeah, so PodRamp just came about because I had lots of people
0: who, after having How to Take Over the World out in the world, and after having worked with My First Million. Wanted to talk to me about podcasting, and so I put together a little agency to help people who who wanted help with podcasting. Right now, I, you know, I don't know how many people this episode will go out to, but I'm not. I'm trying to not take new clients um, <laughs> because I'm I'm gotcha. trying to focus on growing my own content more. But I also like having that because. I want to be able to put into practice a lot of things that I'm learning. So to have a business that's like doing other stuff other than me talking about these leaders, I appreciate and I enjoy. So it doesn't feel quite so meta, right? Of I'm learning these lessons from these leaders and what am I applying it to? Well, I'm applying it to talking about the lessons that I'm learning, right? It feels very circular. Mm -hmm. So having another thing I've I've really enjoyed.
1: And what about in terms of, I guess, you think a lot about the future of podcasting, right? Like that's the space that you're in. What for beginner podcasters in terms of like recipes for success, like you you talked about podcasting as the most difficult medium um, to grow in an organic fashion. What do you do supplementally for like how to take over the world and where do you find the most like new audience penetration from? By
0: far the most effective channel that I have found for growing an audience and growing on podcasting is in podcasting. One of the things, it's really hard to context switch. So a lot of people try and do short form mm-hmm. and take clips from their podcast and, advertise, and, and run clips on Instagram, TikTok, stuff like that, Twitter, right. and try and turn that into a podcast audience. But the context switching of like a vertical feed of scrolling, and then all of a sudden, oh, I gotta—I'm getting constant dopamine hits from TikTok. Now I have to swipe off of that, go over to a podcast app, search the name of this podcast, and go subscribe. It's just a mm-hmm. lot of friction, and so often it—it it doesn't work. You know, <laughs> one of the things that I did with my first million was um, kind of my brainchild was this contest, um, hashtag MFM clips. Turns out that's a porn thing. Found out that the hard way, but um, hashtag MFM clips. And we got like 20 million impressions in a month from people who were creating clips to earn this. I think it was only like a $10,000 grand prize. So we got like 20 million. There's just millions and millions of impressions. Incredible. Tidal wave. And we got some channels that were awesome with tens of thousands of subscribers on TikTok and Instagram. Hmm. And um, people were really excited about it. And it turned into like, 200 pot RSS podcast subscribers. Wow. Like really, really low yield. And so short form does not work. So, what mostly does work in terms of growing, if you're a new podcaster, is to stay in the context that they're already in. So, ads in podcast apps are expensive, but they work. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most effective ad spend when you're small is to do ad swaps and ad buys on other podcasts. So, you find someone of a similar size, you say, hey, I'll run an ad, 500 impressions, 5,000 impressions, whatever. If you run one for me uh, for the same amount, so you do a swap that way or you do a buy that way, that's the single, if
1: you're going to spend, that's the most effective way to to spend your money. And the involvement in terms of the My First Million podcast, um, both I guess, how that had first come about and the evolution of your contributions there. Are you still working on the the podcast to the same extent that you did when you had first joined? Could you say a little bit on, on that topic too? I'm actually getting ready to make my big exit. So July 15th is my wow. last day with my first million, which is
0: great. It's an exciting day. How to take over the world is in a position now where it can support me and I want to spend more time doing that. Yeah, that relationship came about because... Sam really liked how to take over the world. He thought it had potential, and so he said, "Why don't you? I'd love to bring you into our orbit, sort of." And so um, we managed a, a deal
1: that I can't say too much about that um, brought Fair me enough. brought me in there. Gotcha, very cool. And even in terms of managing your own podcast, is is it for the most part like completely a solo operation, or do you have people and other pieces of the um, the business where you're getting help?
0: I have an assistant her name's Audrey she does a ton for me and then the team is just starting to grow as I'm getting ready to go full time uh, so I have someone who does web development and email platform stuff for me mm-hmm. but just on a contract basis but it's at this point it's mostly a, a solo operation and frankly you know I don't really see the need for it to ever you know maybe someday I'll have an employee or two working on it full-time once it gets really big, but Mm -hmm. podcasts don't need big operations. And I think when some of these people, especially in like kind of the NPR ecosystem, they fall into this trap of like, well, we'll have two researchers and especially people who are from like kind of the old school radio. They're like, we need X number of producers and audio engineers and sound designers. And honestly, like, A few of those podcasts do really, really well, like Serial uh, is really well done. But for the most part, the podcasts that are a labor of love that have like one or two people working on them are the ones that succeed. Now, again, some of those other ones, they have businesses that grow off of them, communities, merch, and like all that stuff. Of course, like that'll bring employees, courses, whatever. But in terms of like just podcast, I think that's a trap for people. And it's better to keep a lean team, just yourself and one or two other people, max.
1: Makes sense. And I guess when you look at the podcasting landscape, like I've been listening to podcasts probably pretty intensely for the past like five to six years. And just the influx in terms of the amount of content is pretty wild. Um, From like a strategic perspective, when you're managing how to take over the world, do you have you noticed any shifts in terms of the broader landscape of okay, there's so many more podcasts out there now with much better quality. And because of that competition, you're seeing any changes in uh the market dynamics or anything like that? No, no.
0: If anything, there you know, when you talk about an increase of quantity, <laughs> I don't feel it at all as a podcaster. Wow. I you know, you look at the numbers and it's like podcasting is still not only smaller, but a much smaller industry than radio. Mm. And it's like, how is that possible, right? Yeah. How is that possible? You know, when was the last time that radio generated value for you or for anyone that you know? You mm. may you may have listened to something. When was the last time you like heard a radio ad and you were like, oh, I'm so glad I, I heard this. I'm going to go buy gold from gold and silver to your door.com or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Whereas when was the last time that a podcast drove value for your life? You know, there's a high chance that you were listening to Rogan or Huberman or Tim Ferriss or My First Million or someone, and you heard something advertised to you from a trusted source because you really believe in this podcast and you really got value from that and you purchased. Mm -hmm. Value was created. There's so much more value being created than in radio. and. It's not all being captured. A ton of the market has just not converted. There's so many people who still don't listen to podcasts. Yeah, to me, it's like right now, podcasting is an Olympic-sized swimming pool and it used to have five people in it and now it has 10. And people are like, Isn't it crowded? I'm like, no, we are orders of magnitude away from it being crowded. So at
1: this point, my attitude is still come on in, the water's fine. Awesome. And in terms of how you game plan for episode releases, um, is Have you thought about different considerations in terms of formats and your style right now is maybe read a handful of books about a specific historical figure that either like you admire or that you think there are a lot of insights to glean from it. Um, But obviously you can move in multiple directions in terms of changing the format. Are you pretty happy with uh, how that has developed and have you considered like alternative things uh, to experiment with? So the main episode format
0: which is kind of narrative driven, the story of someone's life and the lessons that you can learn from them has basically been the same. I recently started adding sound design. So that is a change in format, but that'll probably always be basically the same. I've started doing end notes episodes at the end, which is just, Hey, this isn't any more narrative about their life, but here are just some things that didn't like fit in neatly that I can just ramble on about a little bit, um, that you might be interested to hear about or know people have liked those especially people who are big fans and then i'm doing like more mini episodes and so yeah i'm messing around with format having said that like i think i found a formula that works and you know i might mess around with different format on one out of every three or one out of every four episodes but 75 80 of the episodes i think are gonna continue to remain the same
1: makes sense and one of the things that I like personally am very interested in, and uh, overlaps a lot with the episodes that you produce, is I guess just like what drives people to want to succeed and ult- ultimately like execute on um, an ambitious game plan, if you will. Uh, I was reading a book recently by the psychology professor Adam Grant um, called "Give and Take," and. In the book, he had essentially outlined a psychology experiment where uh, basically the researchers looked at elementary school students and um, they took like maybe a fifth of those students and they made the teachers believe that those people were particularly gifted, right? And it was completely random, but that pure like calling out and um identification that those people were special ended up becoming like a self-fulfilling prophecy, which made me think pretty deeply about like the power of belief and how that can change the environment around you. And I I imagine that to some extent, a lot of the people that you uh, have studied or made episodes on, there's uh, a handful of threads that make make them specifically Capable of success, and I'm just curious if there's anything that you have learned in terms of themes, um, or the, to the extent which a lot of it is idiosyncratic across the board of the people that you've studied. Well, so
0: it's fu- funny you mentioned that about belief because, you know, the first thing I think of is is Thomas Edison, who maybe because of an uh, experiment gone wrong, or maybe just naturally was was hard of hearing from a very young age. He says the last time he heard a bird sing was when he was like nine or something like that. And as a consequence, people thought that he was slow. People thought he was stupid because uh, they didn't necessarily know that he was hard of hearing. They just didn't know why he wasn't catching on to things, why he wasn't listening to instructions, things like that. Hmm. And so he said, I almost believed him. Basically, I almost believed them that I was stupid if it weren't for my mother. And, you know, my mother saved me. Uh, she believed in me and she taught him. She, she homeschooled him um, in large part. And, and so there's this weird theme of these completely over the top doting mothers. And there is this, this research that as a parent, you know, what's the right amount of, of love and affection to give versus maybe withhold. Mm -hmm. And the answer was basically like outcomes just improve linearly with more love and affection. Like there is no trade-off point And so like there is this sort of, I think, external belief that has to come in. And often, for whatever reason, it comes from uh, the person's mother, this just incredible doting love and belief. But in terms of, um, but I don't don't think that's even anywhere close to sufficient to explain why they became what they became. It's just because of what you were talking about. It reminded me of that. I, I think the word obsession gets thrown around a lot. And I think that's correct. I don't love the word because I think it's not severe enough. People say I'm obsessed with whatever. They're like, "Oh, this person is obsessed." Well, I'm obsessed with with basketball. Maybe I could be a great player. So the the word I like to use is addiction, and that's because when you see these people's behavior, you realize mm, it's a little unhinged, right? It's obsession, yes, to the point of it's like compulsive their behavior, mm-hmm. and you know you you see this all the time. You see it with napoleon who is just like itching he knows he's so good in the battle he knows he's so good with the strategy that he's just like always pushing to the point of contact he can't wait for a battle he's like a husky that wants to run right and uh when he loses waterloo and it's clear to everyone his career is over he's Mm -hmm. back in paris like come on we can regroup some more forces like we can get together and we can do this again i can win and it it takes everyone being like napoleon dude no you can't like it's over Mm -hmm. Uh, You see the same thing with Thomas Edison in the beginning of his career when he just starts inventing. He gets home from his day job that he has to do to to support him, which is a telegram operator, telegraph operator. Uh, He starts inventing. He passes out at the workbench. He wakes up. He doesn't shower. He was like unkempt. He just goes straight to work and then the second he can, he gets back and he starts and like tinkering and trying to invent again. Hmm. And uh, he's like selling possessions, like basic possessions, in order to, in order to fund him buying more resources to tinker around, and invent new things. And you're like, oh, if you just, you know, substituted opium for inventing, it's so clear that this guy has an addiction. And so, like, to me, that is the clear thread, and that's the way to think about it. Is the the sort of common thread of greatness is do you have a compulsion? you have an obsession? Do you have something that you can't stop doing to the point where you could call it a borderline addiction? Mm-hmm. That is what
1: unites a lot of these people. When you reflect on that, I guess like even in your own career, like pursuing an obsession to the extent that some of these figures have, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Where there are some incredibly severe costs that come with it. Like when you've studied these individuals and kind of reflected on your own life, has it forced you to recalibrate in one direction or the other? Well, whether it's pushing harder on your career and like kind of reinvigorating that drive within you to succeed versus like understanding the costs from uh, past figures and maybe dialing it back?
0: I think you just kind gonna... of this is the most generic advice ever, but you, I think you just got to stay true to yourself, right? Like if you don't have that level of compulsion, then you're never going to be able to find it, frankly. Like you're not going to be able to force that in yourself. Hmm. And similarly, if you do, you're never going to be able to like tame yourself into having a normal life and feel good about it, right? Hmm. The, the only the, the one exception is that often that happens with with age, right? So, you know, someone like Steve Jobs, like, totally obsessed addicted nonstop workaholic for the first 15 years of his career and then he married he starts having kids and he was still pretty obsessed but he had more balance and and that came naturally with age it comes naturally to a lot of a lot of people with age but yeah I mean I don't think a lot about like oh I've got to find that within myself or like You know, this trade-off is not worth it. You know, there's this, (laughs) like some people try and use these as cautionary tales, right? Of like, look, this person was so obsessed and uh, they worked too much. And, you know, some people even say that about themselves. Uh, A good one is um, Larry Miller, who wrote his biography, autobiography at the very end of his life and was like, this was not worth it. I wish I had spent more time with my family. Mm -hmm. There's a good quote from Nietzsche in which she's talking about, um, He's talking about Shakespeare, and he's talking about Macbeth. I don't know if you know the story of Macbeth, but it's uh, this guy in Scotland in the Middle Ages, and this witch tells him that he's going to be king of Scotland. And so he becomes obsessed with this, with believing that he's going to be the king of Scotland. And so he ends up murdering the, the current king. And murdering other opponents, murdering children, and like goes down this very dark hill uh, this, to this very dark place. And it ends up, he goes insane. And in the end, he's conquered by someone else anyway. And he kind of loses everything. And Nietzsche, he talks about Macbeth. And he says, people talk about it like it's a cautionary tale. And it's not. Like it is like crack. Nietzsche doesn't say crack. But it's like crack <laughs> for for people who are have this level of like ruthless ambition. They love it. And the fact that it all goes wrong and that it is like horrible is is he calls it the spice that makes it the perfect recipe, right? Mm. Like it almost drives them even further to want it if you have that sort of naked ambition. So I think that's true. I think that's true. Like if you have that within you, you're never gonna like, you know, you got that dog, you got that, uh, you got that ambition, you you've got yep. that ob- obsession and addiction there's no cautionary tale that you're going to read that You're like, Oh, you know what? They were right. I should, I should calm down and live a balanced life.
1: Mm. I just don't think that works at all. When you first even conceived of the idea of starting a podcast, were there other existing, I guess you mentioned the kind of the Tim Ferriss uh, inspiration of, you know, wanting to interview people that maybe he couldn't or that he, he wasn't. Um, did you see a gap in the the podcasting space for this to be successful? Or were there other people that were already doing something similar um, that like motivated you to do it? Because going from never having recorded a podcast to executing an an idea um, that comes up, like there's a lot of friction in between uh, those two, even though podcasting is an easy form in the sense of like you pick up a mic and record, there's like a lot of preparation and thinking and time that needs to go into it. Just having some audio experience. Uh, so I'm just curious in terms of the the origins there. Yeah, so I definitely did think
0: there was a gap. No one was producing exactly what I wanted, but where I saw myself kind of was Tim Ferriss meets Dan Carlin from Hardcore History. That was probably my other big inspiration. And, uh, and so those two kind of fused in my mind and I thought, okay, I I could do something there, you know, I'm not going to call anyone out, but I think in addition to sort of inspirations and heroes, you also need sort of what I call, uh, like, um, anti-inspiration, which is to say people who are big, who you don't think are that good. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense, people who've been really successful, who you listen to your stuff and you're like this is not that good. Uh, And there were a couple of podcasts like that because that gives you the confidence of, of sometimes you listen to to me, I consider Dan Carlin a master, right? And so it can be intimidating. It's inspiring, Mm -hmm. but it's intimidating to listen to him of like, man, I'm not sure I'm that good of a storyteller. But then there's other people you listen to and you're like, I could do this. (laughs) I I could be a big podcaster. So I think it's important to find those too when you're, when you're getting started.
1: In terms of, creating something independently. And I know that you had prior experience as, uh, in the management consulting industry. Um, so kind of like a traditional background to some extent, um, but going into something creative and pursuing something independently in terms of finding a group of other creators that you could either like bounce ideas off of, or just draw inspiration from, um, Could you talk a little bit about like that experience? Did you have that kind of going into how to take over the world um, or has, has your perception of that changed? Because for me, uh, just in finding like one or two really interesting people at Colossus, which was the prior role that I was in, uh, in terms of creative energy and having a creative outlet, I found that to be um, pretty good, pretty big amplifier in terms of motivation. So I'd be curious to just like hear um, your journey there. I think peers are extremely important. Having said that, I was mostly operating in the dark
0: without any peers that I was really talking to for the first few years. And then I reached a sort of critical mass where people started saying, okay, have you talked to this person? Have you talked to this person? And connecting us and introducing us. And I start, you know, sending some DMs saying, Hey, you know, people say that we should talk because um, they like both of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I do think peers are wildly underrated. I think in many ways they're as important or more important than mentors than people who are sort of ahead of you in in the industry. And I think you know content is a great way to find those people even if you're not like a content person. You look at Paul Graham's blog, right and that is sort of just a banner of what he believes in that makes it easier for his peers to to find him and people who mm-hmm. might think that his his thoughts are interesting. and you know Paul Graham is big enough that he probably doesn't need his blog in order to connect with other people. But, you know, there are much people who are much smaller who, who sort of punch above their weight because of that. So, in fact, I actually think a great example of this is your website, Tyler, because uh you reached out, and you said, "Do you want to do this interview?" and I looked at the number of followers you had, and my first thought was no, but I I went and looked at your website and I was like, "Oh, this this kid's a winner." Uh like I really like what he's doing here. I like the way he thinks. He's probably going places. So yeah, I'll do his podcast. Mm. And so, you know, even if you're not going to be a full-time content person, if you're not going to be an influencer or podcast or whatever, I think having just a place where you can put out your thoughts and people can discover who you are and what you're about is really important to finding uh, those peers because peers, yeah, they're going to supercharge your growth trajectory. There's a story that Mr. Beast tells that he was at like 100,000 subscribers or something like that. Not a big account. And then he and a half dozen other guys started meeting together weekly and said, you know, we're going to meet together and we're all going to get to a million subscribers. And they just blew through a million subscribers. You know, there was no looking back from there. And so I think finding that peer group is,
1: is super, super important. Has studying the great figures of history, like deeply changed at all your perception of luck in terms of the equation of success overall. I mean, like some of these people that you've studied, you talk about the level and degree of obsession that they've had and how that ends up translating to success in one degree or another. Um, And then on the other hand, you have a lot of, I guess, historic commentators that will point to specific key pivotal moments that uh, were breakthrough moments in people's careers that allowed them to be as successful as they they were. Um, Do you think about the role of luck in terms of uh, some of these people that you study and has has that changed at all yeah i mean there are definitely two kinds of luck and
0: uh, man who have i heard talk about this um is it a paul graham essay i can't remember but there are two kinds of luck and one is the luck that you don't control so a great example of this is napoleon one of the greatest world conquerors of all time right he loses he's exiled to uh saint helena in the middle of the like the most remote island in the world and ends up dying of stomach cancer shortly thereafter his son is brought up in Austria because he had married an Austrian princess. So she goes back to Austria, one of the great sort of European powers at the time. And uh, so this guy is raised to not know anything about his father, right? Like they don't want to risk this kid becoming another Napoleon. So they won't tell him anything about his father. Hmm. Despite this, he is his father. So he goes into military training and like, immediately is smoking everyone like is the smartest guy is the most capable commander and they're like shoot we have a problem on our hands right (laughs) and uh because they're like the last thing that we want is another person with this kind of capability to to create a pan-european empire right and now all of a sudden he's like the heir to the austrian throne or has a good claim on it and is every bit as capable and smart as his father is Hmm. and so you're reading the story and you're like, oh, what's going to become of this kid? And then at 19, he gets tuberculosis and dies. Just like, Phoom. and you, you're just like, okay, Man. well, that is the kind of luck you can't control, right? Like this kid was doing everything right, was smart, was ambitious. And then just his life is cut short. Very mm-hmm. sad. And so you just recognize, okay, well, there are some things I can't control and you just got to be grateful for what you get in that realm. And when you don't, you just can't worry. When you get things that are unlucky in that realm, you just can't worry about it and you move past it. Then there's the kind of luck that you can control, right? And I think that luck is is really the accumulation of small efforts. And then it, it comes out looking like luck. I remember I had this example where I was not lucky or, or I guess where I was lucky, right? Wh- which is I got into an elevator, with one of my, and one of my heroes walks in. Right. And we go up three floors and, uh, I just realize, um, I have nothing to say to this person. I have nothing to say to this person. (laughs) You know, I just graduated from college and I have nothing I can ask him for no way he can help me. And and so now if I walked into an elevator with, with one of my heroes, I could say, Hey, you know, would you listen to my podcast? Uh, you know, this you, you might love this and maybe yeah. we could make a connection and, you know, he he could help me grow or whatever. So that was like an example of oftentimes you hear, Oh, this person was, was lucky because they met so-and-so at such a time in their life or because this, but they always had the foresight, the skill to take advantage of the opportunities that they were given. And there are a lot of people who are lucky who don't know it because they were unable to take advantage of the luck that they were given. So there's the luck you can control and the luck that you can't control. And when you're really good and you work really hard, some of those things that seem like luck start to start to come your way. You know, in ancient times, luck was referred to as a mistress and the idea was that she needed to be seduced with mm. with uh with effort and with preparation and I think that's the right way to think of it, that yes, it's luck, and as such, you can't
1: fully control it, but you can try and seduce it to sort of lean your way. These days, I guess in terms of your schedule, the way that you partition your time, um, and I realize that like, I'm sure your exit for my first million will kind of evolve this to some degree, um, but is it a fairly strict schedule that you uh, have on a day-to-day basis, or is it uh, kind of all over the map?
0: For me, I um my big thing is I'm not a big believer in ritual and in daily steps and in intricate daily routines. My belief is I want to wake up and as quickly as possible, I want to be working on the most important thing to me. And you know, it used to be that it was literally, wake up, work, don't brush teeth, like don't shower, like roll out of bed and Mm -hmm. start working. And then once I kind of like have gotten that energy, that first sprint out of my system, then I would like brush my teeth and shower and become a decent human being. I can't, I have three kids now. So like, I can't do that so much anymore, but I still try and do as much of that as possible of like getting into the main thing as quickly as I can every single day. And so I don't keep a super, super set routine. Now, most, most days now that's like reading and preparing or writing a new episode, but some days it's something else.
1: I've heard, I guess, two philosophies in terms of ambitious people succeeding um, when it comes to having foresight. And one is like, if you don't have a plan, then your dreams are just dreams, and they'll likely kind of—you'll never achieve them. Um, and the other is that you should have—you should pursue growth without goals, which is that like every day you should work, you should wake up, and you should just do your best work and explore where that where that will take you, and eventually you'll find success. Um, do you kind of subscribe towards one or the other uh, more? And in terms of like how you see or hope that the next five years of your career will play out? Do you have specific visions when it comes to that? So my feeling is large multi-step plans
0: rarely are of any value whatsoever. The only person I can think of who kind of did something like that is Jeff Bezos, who very intelligently was like, I'm gonna start with the book market because it's a good market and then I'm gonna build an everything store. And even that is kind of like only a two-parter, boom, boom, sequential pretty easy to get. But, you know, Steve Jobs said, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. I also, in reading through his um, there's this new book, Steve Jobs in his own words, what's it called? Uh, Make something wonderful. Mm -hmm. And in it, it's really interesting. He sends an email to the Pixar team about what their goals are for that, that year. And they're very like, it's like a bug's life is an incredible movie. And that's one of his goals, you know, and um, it has tremendous box office success and Pixar's PR efforts render us credit for that incredible success. And like, those are the goals, right? Not like the opposite of smart goals, right? They're not measurable. They're not quantified goals. They're just very like, this is what's next. And I've got smart people and they know what that means. And so I'm not going to waste time trying to kind of like figure out how to gamify this or exactly quantify it. We all know what we're trying to do here. And so that's kind of how I approach it as well is I will sometimes spend a little bit of time thinking about like step two and three, maybe very small amount, but mostly I'm just 98% of my energy and mental thought is on step one. So for me, step one is make how to take over the world. The top history podcast in the world, one of the top podcasts in any category in the world. And that's it. I've got some little thoughts floating around, around like how I can monetize it, businesses I can build on top of that after that. But I don't know, you can't, I don't put a lot of mental energy into that. They'll take care of themselves when I get there. Mostly I'm focused on the step right in front of me.
1: Hmm. We're recording this, I guess, before the official release of my my podcast, but I intend on calling it uh, Tyler's Idea Exchange. And part of the motivation is because for me, in terms of the role that podcasting has played in my learning journey, um, a lot of podcasting and conversation to me is like acquiring new, better ideas that I haven't been exposed to before and shutting off or relinquishing ideas that are um, less reflective of reality or less kind of suit my uh, desired end goals. And so the closing question that I uh, tend to ask is, over the course of your career, or it can be more recently, um, what have you changed your mind most about? Uh, is there anything specific as it relates to podcasting or building a career that you've kind of meaningfully shifted your views on? There's some political
0: stuff that comes to mind first, but I honestly just <laughs> don't want to get into. <laughs> You're um, free to if you want, but no no pressure. I'm asking yeah, you off the yeah, cuff, yeah. so I realize that it's it's a tricky um, one. I think something generally that I have changed my mind on a sort of life philosophy. We live in a very democratic age. And so we want to believe that anyone is capable of everything, or I should say anyone is capable of anything and that you can be anything or you can do anything. And, and so I had this belief and I think I believed that I could with enough effort, I could, and I should Kind of brute force my way into whatever works or Mm. into whatever I want. I think now I feel that we are much more, and I think part of this is having kids. You just kind of realize, like, man, these little things come pre-programmed. Like (laughs) I can have a little bit of effect here on the edges, but not as much as I thought, right? Mm. And so, you know, part of that is having kids. Part of that is just in my own career. When you come into something that you're born for, that comes natural to you, it feels like you're sort of falling into a groove, if that makes sense. Everything, there's just not as much friction. Everything flows smoother. You just kind of get this feeling of, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be. And so, whereas I think earlier I would have, I believed that you should focus on a goal and do whatever it takes to get there. Now, I think you should focus on the process and do what feels right and what feels mm-hmm. natural. And that's where you're going to find
1: the most success and the most happiness. Awesome. Well, Ben, this has uh, been a joy of a conversation. I appreciate you not overlooking the uh, the follower count and uh, being willing to entertain <laughs> the, the discussion because uh, it was fantastic and I really enjoyed it. I mean this very sincerely. You asked really good
0: questions. This is one of the better interviews that, I, uh, that I've that i done. This was great. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Idea Exchange podcast. For more information on the podcast and more information about myself, you can visit TylerShow.com. I also send out a monthly newsletter to friends, family, colleagues, and audience members where I share the best ideas that I came across from that month, whether it was from books that I've been reading, podcasts that I've been listening to, or conversations that I've had. So feel free to subscribe to that on my homepage. Until next time.